Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, everyone. Please turn to uh, Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and double hearts they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongues that make great bolts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us, who is master over all of us. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. His silver refined in a furnace in the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from generations forever. On every side, the wicked prowl. As violence is exalted among the children of man. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to pray one more time. Father, we are so thankful to you. Thanks be to you for giving us your word. And not only that, for uh, giving us your spirit to open up your word, to live inside of us, to teach us your word. We pray this morning, Lord that you would remove any barriers um, to hearing your word this morning, any barriers in our hearts, any distractions in our minds. Forgive us of sin uh, that just makes understanding your word difficult in our lives. Lord, I pray that all of those distractions would be removed. And I pray, uh, Father, that uh, you would change us, that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So in 2010, a former American uh, naval officer and private equity investor, his name was Victor Vescovo, he began a journey that would take him about nine years to complete. He set out to be the first person to journey to both the highest and the lowest places on earth. So at 8.20 a.m. local time on May 24th, 2010, Victor reached the summit of Mount Everest. That was 20,029 feet above sea level, almost four miles straight up into the air. And then about eight years, 186 days later, exactly eight years and 186 days later, he descended down 35,853 feet in a deep sea submersible to a location called the Challenger Deep in the middle of the Pacific in the Mariana Trench. So Victor Vescovo set a Guinness World Record for being the first person to journey from the highest point on earth to the complete lowest point on earth. And so the book of Psalms takes us on a different kind of journey. It's not a journey from the highest point on earth to the lowest point elevation-wise, but it's a journey from the highest points of human experience all the way deep down to the lowest. 
the Psalms captures this full range of human emotion. And so in an interview um, following his, his record-breaking journey, Victor said that in, an important part of uh, exploration is entering the unknown. He said, quote, we don't know what the depths might teach us. And so this morning we're going to look at Psalm 12, which is a psalm that is going to bring us down into the depths of human experience. And it would be really good for us to keep that same attitude that Victor had of, um, you know, we don't know what the depths might teach us, right? And I don't know about you, but last week's message on Easter Sunday, it actually lifted me up to the heights of encouragement. If you left last week feeling invincible, it's because we really literally are in the resurrection invincible, right? But then Monday came, and Tuesday, and pretty soon we're back in the valley of life, right? And the Psalms really teach us how to live in that valley. And so this is so important for us to hear. Um, just this last week, I was reading, a study came out by the American Bible Society. They released their annual State of the Bible report. And this last year's report showed that about 26 million people had either mostly or completely stopped reading their Bibles this last year. And it correlates with a big drop in church attendance that we've seen over the last couple pandemic years. But I know we don't need stats. Many of us have seen people personally, that we know personally, that maybe even used to sit next to you, that have either left church or left the faith altogether. And Psalm 12 is an especially low valley in which David describes being abandoned by God's people. And the most amazing thing about the psalm is that it exists at all. So imagine yourself. You're alone, you're abandoned, you're deserted by all your friends, and you're left to rot among a crowd of liars and thieves. And what's sad is that some of us don't have to really imagine this. This has actually happened. It's not too hard. So what do you do next? Right? Are you the type of person that slinks away into self-pity? Or are you the type of person that is going to let the whole world know about it? Maybe go on some kind of you know, social media rampage. Whatever you might picture yourself doing, you're probably not going to do what David did. David ends up writing this beautifully sad yet hopeful worship song about feeling deserted, and then he sends it to his worship leader to be sung in church. In God's providence, that's exactly what David did, and so that's why we have Psalm 12. And kind of a funny story, Kaylee did actually text me this week, and she's like, hey, I'm leading worship. What psalm are you preaching on? Uh, maybe I can pick some songs that go along with it. And I, I just, I knew exactly what I was doing. I think I texted her, yeah, you know what? This week's psalm is about feeling uh, completely deserted and left alone by wicked and vile people of God. And she was like, I just was just crickets after that. I didn't hear back. I mean, she did a great job. Those, those songs were awesome, but 
Yeah, I, I knew that, you know, these aren't modern songs. These aren't things that we normally sing about, and yet it's right there. We don't know the specific context of Psalm 12. It isn't given in the passage, but there were many instances in David's life where he could have been feeling this way. So it might have been when he was fleeing from Saul and his servants, and, and Saul's servants in 1 Samuel 18, or when he had to flee from his own son who was trying to kill him in 2 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 18 was the other one. David knew, though, what it was like to be deserted by those people that were closest to him. And so in Psalm 12, David gives us a great pattern for how to deal with desertion, like the desertion that he faced. And so we're going to look at three things. Psalm 12 shows us, first, that we can cry out to the Lord for salvation, that we can call for justice, and then that we can stake a claim on God's character, right? So again, we can cry for salvation, we can call for justice, and stake a claim on God's character. So David, this David, was no stranger to a sad song. We know that if you've spent any time at all in the Psalms, you know that there are quite a few Psalms. Some estimate about 40% of the Psalms is made up of laments. And this is one of 42 whole Psalms that are just complete laments. Some of them are individual laments, like this one where David uh, laments personally. Some of them are corporate laments where he leads the people in lament. But it's just a sad book of Scripture. And if you've read through the Psalms, maybe one thing that you've noticed is it begins with a lot of sad songs. It begins with lament, but then it moves towards worship, and it ends with worship and exaltation. So the Psalms tend to move from lamentation, we could say, to exaltation. And Psalm 12 moves in the same way. In verses 1 to 4, if you, you look at them, and, and please look at this, it's actually the whole psalm is here on one page, and it's really nice to look at the whole overall structure that you can see. So from verses 1 to 4 is lamentation, and then in verse 5 through 7, we see exaltation. But then we do end on a note of lamentation in verse 8. So if you look at verse 8, a lot of the psalms of lament actually end in exaltation. This one ends in lamentation. It says, On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. It's almost as if David knows that sometimes in life, life does move from lamentation to exaltation, only to put us right back into lamentation again. And so also in Psalms, if you're looking at this page again, if you're looking at the overall structure of it, um, it is another psalm that has this chiastic structure. And a chiasm is, is just a sandwich structure where you have a beginning and um, ending that are similar in theme. It's kind of like the bread of the sandwich. And then you have um, something right in the middle. You have the meat of the psalm that gives us a, a particular meat of the message of the passage. And so Psalm 12 begins and ends with the godly and faithful vanishing in verse 1 and then the wicked prowling on every side. It's almost as if the, the psalm writer here, David, is literarily showing that the wicked are all around. They're surrounding us, right at the beginning, right at the end of the psalm. But right in the center, we get the meat, right? We get this bright spot. 
And we get the answer to David's prayer from verse 1. His prayer in verse 1 is, save, O Lord. And then if you look at verse 5, it says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. But the most important question when we're looking at this psalm and we're reading this psalm is, who is David praying to be delivered from? So who are these godless, faithless, lying flattering, double-hearted in verse 2, boasting in verse 3, prevailing in verse 4, plundering, wicked, and vile in verse 8. Who, are, who is this generation that God will guard us from? And I think for us, it's really tempting for us 21st century Christians to read this through a, a culture war lens, where faithful Christians are battling it out against a growing secular society. But really in this historical context where David's writing, it's not the pagan world outside of Israel that is, he's being deserted by. It's God's own faithful covenant people that are leaving. And so in a commentary on, on this passage, Calvin says, that the reference here is not to the other nations, but to God's chosen people. And if you look at the Hebrew word here in verse 1, it says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one. That word for godly one is a Hebrew word, hasid, from verse 1. Um, it's really closely related to the common word for God's covenant love for his people, which is hased. It's as if all of those people who were once objects of God's covenant love, have turned their back on David and turned their back on God. And this really adds to the tragedy of this psalm, doesn't it? Psalm 12 is not decrying the depravity of the world out there. It's a much more personal indictment on the wickedness of God's own children right in here. And have you felt this? I mean, it's hard enough when we have to deal with wickedness of the world, but when wickedness is within the family of God, it can really be crushing. And so the question is how, for this morning, is how can we deal with this type of deception? How did David deal with it? And so first, Psalm 12 shows us that we can cry for salvation. And when I say cry, I, I, I mean actual tears. Look at verse 1 through 2. It says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Psalms like Psalm 12 um, teach us that it's not only okay for us to cry literal tears of lament, it's actually a good and right thing. And they say um, that the violence of nature um, can be described as red in tooth and claw. And I unfortunately think that that can sometimes be said about the church. I mean, we've all heard these stories about religious leaders that have been living double lives, hurting people the whole time. We've heard about church politics that stirs up distrust and division or lies and gossip that lead to broken relationships. But it's more than just stories. 
Many of us have been wounded by this type of not-so-friendly fire, right? Even in this room, there's people that have been abandoned, been lied to, been plundered by wickedness even inside the church. And take a look. I want us to notice that the humble cry for salvation, for saving from this wickedness uh, that, that David has in verse 1. He says, save, O Lord. David is uh, taking his case straight to the Lord. And now, really, we, we don't have any evidence from Scripture, and actually we know from even this passage, that there wasn't a time when there were literally no other believers in Yahweh except for David, right? But it really felt that way to David, right? And that's why he writes this way. We feel the weight of his despair. He says, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. And then also, if you look down in verse 3, he says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Now, in the Old Testament, we don't see God making a practice of literally cutting off any lips or pulling out any tongues of liars. It probably would have been very effective, but he doesn't do that. And so why is, why is David speaking in these terms? He's, he's describing just the depth of David's desperation to end those lies that are being thrown at him. And I, I think a good question for us is, when was the last time you lamented that way over sin? I know I don't lament well. And so Psalm 12 shows us first um, that we can cry out to the Lord. And then next, it shows us that we can call out for justice. We can call out for justice. So in verses 3 through 5, it says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And so in this verse, notice, notice what David's not doing. David's not creating a strategic plan on how to deal with, with the liars that are, are, are within his midst. You know, and there's a time and place for that. I think it's good. But here, David is calling on the Lord to act. He says, put the liars in their place. Remove the instruments that they're using for their lies from their face, right? And the Lord then responds that he will put the poor and needy in their place of safety, right? Like we mentioned earlier, this verse, verse 5, is the meat of this psalm. It's God's response. He says, I will now arise. I love that. And God's going to accomplish his will using whatever means he chooses. We don't know in this psalm how he ends up stopping their lies, how he ends up answering this prayer. But we know that we can trust his protection. Amen? God is attentive to the cries of his kids. Even now, you might be groaning in prayer for deliverance. And even now, in this moment, God might be responding in the same way. He might be saying, I will arise now. I will place him, I will place her in the safety 
for which they long. So God keeps us and guards us forever. But notice how the psalm ends in in verses 7 and 8. Um, It says, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us forever from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. So God keeps us and guards us even as the wicked prowl and vileness is exalted. So that means that God's protection for us, it might not mean airlifting us out of the situation that we're hoping to be rescued from, but he does promise to keep us safe and to guard us. Sometimes God prepares a feast in the midst of our enemies, right? Like Psalm 23 says, so that we get a taste, just a little taste right now, of that eternal safety for which our souls long and which will be ours when Christ comes in his, in his kingdom. All right, so Psalm 12 shows us we can cry out to the Lord, we can call for justice, and then finally, we can stake a claim on God's character. So look at verses 6 and 7. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. And at first glance, you might think that verses 6 and 7 take kind of an odd turn, right? I I thought, well, did verse 6 maybe accidentally get taken out of another psalm? Like maybe when they were putting it together, they shuffled around some pages and Verse 6, maybe, maybe it got taken out of like Psalm 19 that talks about God's word or Psalm 119 that talks about how beautiful God's word is. But I don't think so. Well, for many reasons. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think so. So he, right here, David's pointing us to God's character as the anchor in the turmoil of his soul, right? He's pointing us to God's character. And I was trying to think this week about an elaborate illustration about the truth of God's word being an anchor in the stormy sea of life. But then I realized I don't know much about ships or anchors or, or anything at all. I, like, I don't even know. I'd probably mess it up. I don't know if you're supposed to put an anchor down. There's probably going to be a visitor here that's like a sailor and is like, no, bad idea. You do not want to drop a, a, an anchor in the, in the middle of a storm. So how about this? I do live in a house, and so I'll do something a little more familiar. So our faith um, in the character of God has to be the foundation of our life. So if my house suffers some damage, I can always rebuild as long as my foundation's solid. And this is why our doctrine, right, our beliefs about God, about his character, about who he is, about the scriptures, it's so vital, it's so important, it's so foundational, right? And this is why David brings it up. The question is, has truth disappeared? Has everybody who ever told the truth, are they gone? You know, that's a great question in our day, is truth gone? No, God is truth, God's word is true, right? We return to what's foundational. Is life completely out of control? No, God is completely in control and sovereign. Are we in danger? Maybe, but God keeps and guards and protects his people, amen? And so these aren't just truths that we believe. These are truths that we live, right? When we feel abandoned, we can 
follow this pattern of Psalm 12, crying out for salvation, calling for justice, and staking a claim on God's character. And this pattern, what it does is, is, is it helps keep us from fighting lies with more lies, right? It, it helps to keep us from seeking to hurt back in the same way that we've been hurt. So God in Christ loves to answer the cries of his children, and God's word is sure that all of those wrongs will be made right in the end. Amen? Psalm 12 also, um, it encourages us to tell the truth. I was thinking about this. It encourages us to tell, us, to tell the truth the same way that standing in the middle of your burned-down house teaches you about fire safety, right? You just see the destruction all around. And so even if we've never felt what David feels here, we can feel it through his words. Our words matter, right? So a small little lie here, a little bit of flattery there, and we join in with the wicked and faithless that have caused so much devastation among God's people. The same devastation that so many of us have endured. So in our you know, postmodern, post-truth culture, the truth still matters. And if truth is abandoned by the church, then what hope is there for the world? So we must seek the pure words of the Lord and work hard to keep our hearts true and our lips and even our thumbs from flattery. When we fail to tell the truth, though, as we often do, as we will, as we probably will today, we find our forgiveness and our righteousness in the one who was cut off on our behalf, right? Isaiah 53, 8 says that. The love, forgiveness, and the acceptance that we find in Christ through the gospel vastly outweighs anything we're trying to gain with our lives. And although for this particular passage, there's no New Testament passage that references Psalm 12 specifically, we know that it gives us, it can give us the same burning that was felt by the disciples on that Emmaus road when Jesus opened up the scriptures to reveal the truth about himself. So in Psalm 12 here, we're pointing to the fact that God is close to anyone who feels abandoned by God's people, right? That he is a faithful, godly one who will never abandon us and he's the ultimate fulfillment of the Lord who rose, I will arise, says the Lord, and place his people into the eternal safety for which we long. Right? Jesus is the, the, that representative singer of the Psalm 12 lament. So during his ministry, Jesus was surrounded by what he called an evil, adulterous, faithless, twisted generation. And he said that they were guilty of the blood of the prophets in Luke 11. And Jesus endures all of these lies uttered from the Pharisees about him. He experienced the flattering lips and the double heart spoken from Judas who betrayed him and from his, his own disciples who deserted him in the end. It says in 1 Peter that when he was reviled on the cross, he did not revile in return. And so anyone who sings this psalm, Psalm 12, with David must know that Christ in his deepest, in the deepest parts of his being, 
sang the same song. Because Christ has suffered total abandonment from the godly, he's able to help those who feel the same abandonment, right? That's what Hebrews 2 tells us. And so, though many of us will cry out to the Lord to save us, it's only Christ who can truly sing the words of Psalm 12.3. Look at verse 3. It says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Jesus is the only one that can really sing that with his lips still attached to his face. Right? He's the supreme singer of this psalm, of this lament. When we're reading this psalm, we're, we're likely to identify with David but I think if we're being completely honest, there have been times when we were the ones that have abandoned God's faithful, when we were the ones that were uttering lies. And when we look inside our own chest, we find not one true heart, but we find two hearts, right? One that is speaking flattery to our neighbor and the other one that is speaking falsehoods behind their back. And although God would be perfectly just to remove our lying lips and our boastful tongue. We live in this era of grace in which Christ makes this great exchange. So in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us that in the gospel, um, there's, there's this great exchange that happens where Christ accepts all of the just punishment we deserve for all of our godlessness, all of our faithlessness, all of our deception, all of our wickedness, and when we receive him, we receive the reward for his perfect faithfulness, for his perfect life of pure words, right? God places us then in the safety for which he longed. And so not only that, though, Christ is this victorious returning singer of this psalm. So he's the one that looked down from heaven and he heard our poor and needy groans. And he entered this land of the wicked. And he died and he rose again to bring us into union with him. So that we can put off falsehood. We can put on compassion and kindness and humility and patience and forgiveness and love. In Christ, that promise of verse 7 where David says, you, O Lord, will keep them, it finds its fulfillment when he returns with his kingdom. And, and we look forward to that day when our lamentation moves to exaltation forever. Amen? And we never have to return. Let's pray. Um, Father, we are uh, so thankful that you have uh, turned our mourning into joy, or that you have uh, turned our lamentation into exaltation. And I, I pray, Lord, for, for those that, are, that may still be in that moment of lamentation, Lord, I pray that you would help them to lament well, Lord, that you would be fully present um, with them as, as they they cry real tears of lament, Lord, and that you would also point them to that day where you will wipe away every tear from their eye. We pray in your son's name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.